This is the On The Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glenn. Hello, hello, hello. I am, of course, your host, Lance Glenn. For this episode, joined alongside by Aaron Brightman and David Anderson, the first episode of our new On The Banks podcast. And boy, I am excited to finally get it going months of work put into this, where to do it, when to do it, what to talk about has finally culminated into this first episode. And guys, I am just so excited to be with you both talking Rutgers sports. Well, great job, Lance. Uh, happy to have you on the team and uh, thrilled to, to get going with this. And uh, like you said, it's been a long time coming, but uh, I think, you know, really will add to our content for, for On the Banks as a site. And uh, I really look forward to uh, what you bring to the table in the next, uh, you know, uh, many Many months to come. Now, this podcast is going to be filled with great guests. We're going to be joined by beat reporters from Rutgers and opposing teams, coaches, some broadcasters, as well as myself and other contributors from On the Banks. Now, our first episode, we're going to do an outlook of what's to come this summer for the fall Rutgers sports teams, as well as Rutgers basketball recruiting. We're going to start with the two teams closest to beginning their seasons, and that's the men's and women's soccer team. Now, specifically regarding the men's soccer team, this team is a team that is in the Big Ten basement, hasn't won a Big Ten game in the last couple of years. It hasn't always been this bad, though. 2015, this team finished 23rd in the nation, went to the NCAA tournament, lost in the second round to Akron 6-1. So now, bottom of the Big Ten, what does this team have to do? What does Dan Donegan have to do to bring this team back to relevancy in the Big Ten and potentially bring this team back to where they compete to make an NCAA tournament on a year-in and year-out basis? Well, uh, I'll take that first. I mean, um, in terms of, you know, last year, you look at it, they gave up 49 goals. So they, they allowed almost three goals a game. That's not going to get you very far. Um, I think a huge addition this offseason was uh, the UCLA transfer, Kevin Silva, who uh, is a, a starter for the under-17, under-19 now. Um, U.S. national team uh, kids got you know a lot of talent, and I think adding him in in, in the net uh, this year is going to be a huge boost for this team. Um, you know, to be honest, I'm not quite sure what the back line is going to look like, but I think um, that's a that's a huge start. I think um, you know the recruiting class coming in it has a lot of talent in the state of New Jersey. There are a couple other transfers that got added. Um, Vincenzo Puglisi from St. John's, local guy from West Windsor, my hometown. Um, so I, I, I think that, you know, the, the talent upgrade, I think, is there. I think last season also, they were way too ambitious with the schedule. You know, they opened up at North Carolina, at Wake Forest, two top five teams. They got throttled. I think it was combined 11-2. to two. Um, So I think they've scheduled more modestly uh, and appropriately this year. So I think the non-conference schedule is a lot less. Um, challenging in, in a positive way and will allow them to, to generate some momentum there. Um, but I think it's, yeah, it, it's a make-or-break season for Donegan. You know, I, I grew up uh, following the teams in the late 80s, early 90s with Alexi Lalas, Jeff Zahn, those teams going to the Final Four. You know, so this, this program's always been dear to my heart, and I, I really hope they can uh, turn it around, and I, I think it, it starts a, it, with the defense. And, you know, you mentioned, Aaron, uh, the back line and the goaltending specifically. You know, they're bringing back senior goalie Rafael Pereira, but you look at his stats last year, 2.83 goals against average, only had two shutouts. Again, a, a real trying season. They finished 4-13-1 last season, did the Scarlet Knights men's soccer team. But they bring in the transfer from UCLA, so there's at least going to be goaltending competition there to push each other. But 
you look at the women's soccer team, they're built on defense. This men's soccer team, you know, it's just not there for them. They're giving up goals. You mentioned, you know, the ambitious schedule and the fact that they got throttled, they got throttled, excuse me, in their early games. If that defensive line, that goaltending doesn't improve, I don't really see a way where they could get up, they could get back to where they were in 2015. The Big Ten, in terms of soccer, is already difficult enough. The fact that they struggled goaltending, they struggled on the defensive line, you know, if they don't improve in those specific areas, then it's just going to continue to be a struggle bringing themselves out of that basement, and it's going to be another trying season for Dan Donegan and his squad. Well, let me let me jump in here, guys. So I, you know, looking back, you know, you gave up 49 goals, but there was a couple games, five spot from Wake Forest, six spot from North Carolina, but you only scored 23 goals the whole season. In fact, you only scored 15 goals the year before. So I think that there's ways that you can be creative putting 11 people behind the ball and, you know, reducing the goals allowed, especially because I don't think Pereira's a bad goalie, and I think he might even get an upgrade with Silva being eligible. But come on, you scored 23 goals. That was actually an uptick from the year before. Obviously, when you're recruiting, when Donegan's recruiting and he's looking at his team a couple of years ago, he would have hoped that he had Jason Wright last year ends up that he leaves the program after his third season. And, you know, finding goals is one of the hardest things to do. Well, the problem that arises there, David, is, you know, you're right. Only 23 goals last season obviously has to improve, but they're losing their top two leading point getters in Ryan Peterson. He had nine points in 2008, last season, and Eric Saw, he had eight points last season. So while they are improving defensively, you know, improving in goalie at least, or at least the competition between Pereira and Silva is going to be one to watch. They only scored 23 goals last season. You could see losing Peterson and losing Saw. You could see that number decreasing back to 15, what it was two years ago, no? You could. I mean, soccer is a strange sport, right? It's probably the hardest to recruit of, of any sport. I would say it's one of the hardest sports to recruit because... You know, you look at guys who maybe they're five foot, five foot eight, 150 pounds in a senior in high school, and by their sophomore or junior year of college, they're you know five eleven, 185. So you, you don't know how that's going to go. You don't know how guys are going to compare from skill wise. So I think you, you play a defensive strategy and just hope that you can find somebody who's got a nose for the get for the net. And uh, I'm not saying it's impossible to do. Rutgers clearly has found goal scorers in the past, but. I, I honestly believe that men's, recruiting men's soccer is the hardest sport to, to do. And if your team can just get one guy who's that magic forward, then, you know, maybe you turn it around. Yeah, no, certainly. You know, you're looking for that one guy, and it seems like, you know, that's every sport, right? You're just looking for that one guy to kind of put you over the edge. Maybe even that one guy to kind of draw in other guys. You know, you're always looking at in-state, right? And I think Rutgers has done a pretty decent job, and I know, Aaron, you mentioned a couple names, of recruiting in-state or at least bringing in transfers in-state. And you hope that some of these guys that they bring in, be it recruits or transfers, are that guy that can kind of help push Rutgers over the edge, be it in goal, be it, you know, at the forward position, at the defense, at the midfield, whatever it is. You're hoping that one of them could potentially be that guy that could push Rutgers over the edge, provide that offense, provide that defense, provide that goaltending, and really help Rutgers dig themselves out of the basement. Because, again, you know, these numbers are not pretty. You know, 0-14-2 in the last two years in the Big Ten. Again, 4-13-1 last season. With the losses they have on offense in Peterson and Saw. It doesn't look good offensively. Plus, 
while Silva might be an upgrade over Pereira, you just don't know what you're going to get in goal yet with that back line. You know, you're not sure what it is right now. You're not sure what it's going to be when the season starts. Plus, for all we know, it could be Pereira starting in goal again. That competition still has to play out. So there's still so many questions mark question marks with this team that while four thirteen and one looks bad now, who knows what it's going to be next season? It could be just as bad. Maybe. I mean, I, I want to see Jordan Hall. I want to hear Aaron's thoughts on that. But I, I think he might be able to score some goals. Yeah, I mean, listen, they, they add nine guys, so I think, you know, that's that's a pretty uh, pretty sizable, um, you know, addition to the roster. So I think team chemistry obviously is huge, and I think getting off to a good start. And they have a big road trip uh, to Maryland early on in the season at UMBC. They play Loyola, Maryland. I think those are key games that if they can, you know, pull those out, it'll generate a lot of positive momentum for the rest of the season. But I think that you know, going back to, you were saying, you know, catching that lightning in the bottle with one player, I think that's exactly what they did catch in 2015 with Jason Wright having an all-time yeah. season. And uh, they just, you know, unfortunately it didn't work out the following season and, and they haven't haven't come close to it yet. So I think, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of unknowns about this team. Um, and I think, you know, really, uh, you know, you, you can't go three seasons without winning a Big Ten uh, game. So I think, uh, you know, Donegan's certainly on the hot seat, and he's been with the program a long time. I know almost a decade, um, and he's had some ups and downs, but I think obviously this is certainly a make-or-break season for him. Well, we're going to now move it to the other soccer team, one that has shown, I don't know, progress through every single season, a team that in my four years here at Rutgers, the past four years from 2014 on, They've made the NCAA tournament every single season. Mike O'Neill squad, they finished 13-2-6 last year. An NCAA tournament team every year, really turning themselves into a women's college soccer powerhouse, college cup berth when they lost to Penn State in the Final Four in 2015. But like the men's soccer team on offense, Eric Saw and Ryan Peterson, the women's soccer team, they're losing a lot on defense, specifically in goal with Casey Murphy, obviously, you can just list her numbers on and on. She has so many accolades to her name. Rutgers all-time shutout leader of 45, two-time Big Ten goalkeeper of the year, two-time All-Ten, All-Big Ten first team, you know, second in, in the NCAA last year with a 9-2-4 save percentage, second in shutouts, second in goals against average. I mean, she was such a stalwart in goal for this Scarlet Knight team that whoever they put in to start be it, you know, Caitlin Ferreira, Megan McClelland, uh, Emma Hudsinger, whoever it is, you know, obviously they're not going to be Casey Murphy, so it just puts more emphasis on the Scarlet Knight defensive line to make sure that they back up that young goaltender. Well, I think that's the key. I think no matter who's in, in goal, you, you do have a veteran backline back, which is huge. But for, for me, you know, I, and I wrote last week, uh, just looking at the whole athletic department in general, I, I think wrestling and I think uh, women's soccer are easily the two healthiest programs in Rutgers Athletics right now. I think Coach Michael Neal has a really built a very strong culture, and I think he's really the only Rutgers coach that has kind of cracked the code a little bit on keeping the best New Jersey players home, wanting to, uh, to play in front of their friends and family, and, and he's been able to do that. Uh, you know, and Amira Ali, you know, has so much potential and is really going to, I think, be obviously the star of this team moving forward. And, and, and I think the dynamic of the team might change a little bit, uh, but I think it, in a way they might end up being more balanced uh, down the road. But I think that his consistency, you know, six years in a row now, and, and you could argue, and I don't want to give David Anderson and other uh, listeners bad flashbacks, but you could argue that the best move that Julie Herman ever made was appointing Mike O'Neill as head coach of women's soccer. 
granted it was kind of a no-brainer based on his history with the program as an assistant, but still, you have to give credit there because he really has turned out to be just a, a fantastic coach. And I think that, um, you know, they, they, while they did lose Murphy, they have, they have a lot coming back, and I expect them to have another solid year ahead. I was going to just talk about that a little bit. So, yeah, you're, you're losing Murphy, your All-American goalie, right? But looking at their defense, you know, they're losing one of the back line, right? They're losing Courtney Norton, right, who is a very a great example of a player who grew over a year and got better and better and better and ultimately became a starter, right? That's what we're not seeing in some of the other programs at Rutgers. This is what we saw, have seen in women's soccer. Point. So someone like her improves over the course of her career, and now I'm not saying you're going to plug and play someone who's going to be just as good, but you have other players who hopefully can grow a little bit this year, and by having so much experience uh, re- returning in the back, it should be easier to break in a new goalie than if you were trying to replace your entire defense and goalie all at the same time. And then the other thing about it is when you watched their Final Four in uh, 2015, they just didn't have enough speed. The skill, the heart was all there, but they did not have speed. And as I've seen over the last couple of years, we've seen that improve. And last year, a true focus on defense with the young team. And we should, you know, see improvement on defense. And with the, you know, the improvement in team speed, I think you're going to be able to get goals from more people than just Ellie this year. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, you bring up that 2015 team. And, in fact, I was on the call for really that entire run during the Big Ten tournament when they went to the final and lost to Penn State and that entire NCAA tournament uh, when they ended up losing to Penn State in the Final Four. I was on the call for WRSU at the time as a student. And you're right, you bring up a good point. You know, that team was, you know, arguably the best defensive team in the country, obviously led by Casey Murphy. They had girls like, you know, Brianne Reed, uh, Erica Skrosky to lead that back line. You know, two girls that ended up getting uh, drafted after their senior years. But they did, and Mike O'Neill made it a point to add more offense. You know, you look at a player like Amir Ali, what she brought to the team just in her freshman year last season. You know, leading scorer with 17 points, Big Ten freshman of the year, third team all Big Ten as well. And Aaron, you mentioned it. She has so much potential. While they're still going to be, you know, one of the most sound teams in the country defensively with returning players like Kenny Wright, uh, returning players like Dana Goldstein, the fact that they have Amir Ali, who's now going to be a sophomore, plus more recruits they're bringing in, plus, you know, while an inexperienced goaltender, someone who, if you play Caitlin Ferrer, right, she has experience watching uh, Casey Murphy. If you play, you know, Megan McClellan, right, she's a four-star goalie coming in. So while it's going to be a, a young and inexperienced goaltender, it's going to be a goaltender with talent. And the fact that now the offense is matching that defensive prowess, it's really making for just such a fun team to watch and a team that could, when they do get to the NCAA tournament, a team that could really make noise and a team that could possibly, I feel like every year, reach that college cup like they did back in 2015 well and, and you mentioned kenny kenny Wright, and i think that was uh you know they, they really missed her well she, she was injured towards the end of last season i remember talking to coach o'neill and he was emphasizing just how important she was to the success of the team and you know how well they played uh in in that uh NCAA tournament loss to west virginia you just have to wonder if she was at full strength you know what that could have done in that game and i think her coming back is going to be really key to this year's team as well So that'll do it for men's and women's soccer. Now we're going to kind of flip the script and talk about a team that is currently on the rise. You go from two wins in his first year to now four wins in his second, and a team that definitely has bowl aspirations in Chris Ash's third year, and that's the Rutgers football team. And 
what's the big question for this Rutgers football team going into Chris Ash's third year? It's like it was, I feel, in year one and year two. Who's going to be the quarterback to start uh, on opening day? You know, is it going to be Gio Rochino? Is it going to be Jonathan Lewis? Or is it going to be freshman Arter Sitkowski? And I think until that question gets answered, people are going to keep wondering how good can this team possibly be? You know, give it up to Gio Rochino. He ended up winning three Big Ten games for the Scarlet Knights last season, beating Purdue, beating Illinois, beating Maryland. Jonathan Lewis showed potential at times. Obviously, you look back to his Morgan State game, obviously winning co-Big Ten freshman of the week, I believe with J.K. Dobbins that uh, week, uh, the running back for Ohio State. And then you have Arthur Sitkowski, who is the most heralded of the three quarterbacks, obviously a four-star from Old Bridge, then transferred to IMG Academy, decommitted from Miami, flipped to Rutgers. So it really is going to be something to watch who Chris Ash is going to name as that starting quarterback. You'd assume it'll be pretty close to kickoff against Texas State when he's going to name that quarterback, but there's so much speculation going now, and you know it'll be so interesting to see when he names the quarterback, which quarterback he names, and ultimately why he named that quarterback to start first the Scarlet Knights against Texas State. Yeah, I think, Lance, you know, uh, I think Ash did the right thing by not naming the starting quarterback after the spring. I think, uh, you know, uh, definitely keep it as a competition throughout the, the, the summer. Um, but, you know, from a lot of people you speak with and people that, that saw the team practice a lot every day in the spring, um, it seems pretty clear that Sikowski's the guy. He fits uh, McNulty's system the best. Uh, and I think, like you said, he's one of the most heralded recruits in a long time. Um, and I think that he, it's, it's his job to lose at this point. I think, you know, um, Ash uh, didn't want to put too much pressure on him, but I think, you know, his performance in the spring game, you know, a few, uh, he, I mean, he, he threw a few deep balls that we haven't seen, you know, uh, in a record uniform in quite a while, probably since Nova. So I think, uh, you know, that got fans excited. And I think, you know, he, a, a, a true Rutgers fans, you know, I'm sure everyone's going to be pawning for him. And then when week three, when he throws an interception, everyone's going to be, you know, <laughs> pawning for him to get benched. But uh, uh, I, I really think it's his job to lose. And I think that, you know, um, there's going to be inconsistency there, but I think his feelings the highest. It makes the most sense to just go with him. Um, I am a believer that, you know, especially in college football, it's very hard to go through a whole season with just one quarterback. I think you got to give Rochino a lot of credit. He's got alligator blood. He won't go away. I think, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him and even Lewis, you know, be in some key spots throughout this year. But I think Sikowski is the guy uh, going into the, the opening game. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one, Aaron. You know, Arthur Sikowski obviously coming in um, – at least if you compare him, Lewis, and Gio when they came in as freshmen, Sitkowski, the highest rated Sitkowski, the one coming in, you know, from probably the biggest program in the country in terms of IMG Academy. And while there were, you know, freshman mistakes, obviously, uh, in the spring game, you know, you look at the interception by Kevin Wilkins, uh, the interception by KJ Gray when he threw a deep ball uh, towards the corner of the end zone. But you do look at the big play, uh, to, to Bo Melton and you know Bo Melton obviously such a heralded recruit when he came in someone who only I think only had four catches uh, last season he's someone that Rutgers uh, fans want to see take the next step and the fact that Rutgers fans during the spring game saw the connection that he and Sitkowski had obviously everyone's going to flock to oh Sitkowski's got to be the guy Sitkowski's got to be the guy but I think he made a good point you probably will need multiple quarterbacks if you're any team really you know be it Michigan, you know, look at them. 
They had Brandon Peters. Obviously, they're bringing in Shea Patterson this year. Look at Ohio State in years past. Obviously, we all remember the JT Barrett, Cardell Jones, uh, Braxton Miller controversy. Who was going to start for them? So you're going to need uh, multiple quarterbacks. We've seen Ash. He's not afraid to use multiple quarterbacks with Gio and John Lewis. So I think having the depth that they have, I think it's been the most depth in the quarterback room that Chris Ash has ever had during his time at Rutgers. And while I do think Sitkowski is going to be the guy to start against Texas State, I do think you might see Jonathan Lewis in that game, especially down by the goal line. So you might see multiple quarterbacks this season, but I do agree with you that Sitkowski, um, but I'd be very surprised at this point now if it's not Arthur Sitkowski. I feel like all signs are just pointing to him being the starter come day one. Well, let me just throw a quick point in there, which is in football, you hear great coaches say you need good play out of your seniors. And the reason for that is because the younger players are going to look to the seniors. So you have a senior who, or, you know, a redshirt junior or whatever, who is very, you know, well-respected and commands the locker room. That's one thing. And especially if they're not going to turn the ball over, you're going to win. You should win games that you're supposed to win. However, you, you need some element against teams that are equal or superior to you to put the defense on their heels. And that's where, Either Lewis improving his throwing or Sikowski throwing the deep ball is something that they're going to have to do. And what you saw from the last two years, as much as I, I like Geo, they were not winning games or even really threatening games where they had to make a significant comeback. There was only one game, and it was actually two years ago in the game against Minnesota. Rutgers was down fairly big, and they made a, a push behind Geo to, to win that game. Right? The other games that they've won it, have been close. It's not like they're down 21, you bring in a guy and he's just throwing bombs or, or short, completing short passes, right? And that's, that's what they're hoping to get with Sikowski. Real quick, though, unfortunately, I love your memory, but uh, they lost to Minnesota by one point that game. But you're right, that's the only game they came back on uh, with Gio behind. Um, and I think, I think all your other points, it makes perfect sense. And I think, uh, but I think also Gio's you know, ability to be a good teammate and, and be a mentor to these guys is also really uh, an underrated aspect of the culture that Ash has built and just the character of Gio and, and how important he is going to be with Sikowski and Lewis. And again, if, he, if, if the players believe in him and he's a senior, he might start. And then if you're playing Kansas and you're down two or three touchdowns, maybe you make a change. Like this, for example, right? I'm not saying that that's what will happen, but it would be a completely plausible scenario. It, it certainly is. And with that offense, as we continue to talk about them, obviously the quarterback can only do so much. It's the receivers, obviously, that also need to take that next step. They have grown a year. Bo Mellon's a year older. Everett Wormley's a year older. Obviously, Shameen Jones redshirted last year. Eddie Lewis is in now. So this receiving group is older. Uh, they have more depth. And we saw that Sitkowski to Melton connection. And I think while it was only the spring game, obviously, against you know a common opponent, one that you know they see each other every day in practice, but I do think that touchdown to Melton in the spring game was foreshadowing what we might see from this John McNulty offense and what we might see from a player in Bo Melton, someone that can really stretch the field, that can use his speed, and that can really beat a team deep. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really intrigued with McNulty. I think, you know, obviously his past history with Rutgers uh, speaks for itself. And I think, um, you know, if anything, they're, they're going to be interesting to watch. And I think from week to week, I really think he'll be able to game plan and, and, and have this team uh, best prepared for, for their opponent. I think Melton, obviously... You know, uh, it, it gives Rutgers a deep threat they really haven't had since Crew. 
uh, Leonte Crew, and I think uh, that's exciting. I think, you know, a lot of uh, people you talk to say Shameen Jones is really primed for a great year. I think another player people forget about who is looking a lot uh, uh, bigger these days is Mo Jabby. Uh, be interested to see what he can do. And one, one player in the passing game, not necessarily a receiver, but someone I was really high on all last year that definitely was not utilized enough is Jerome Washington, the tight end. I mean, he's just prototype. You know, huge target downfield. You know, it drags three or four defenders with him to go down. And I think, you know, he's had off-season uh, surgery. And if he's healthy going into camp, I, I really see him being a huge weapon next season in the passing game. Yeah, one other guy who you didn't mention who I was pleasantly surprised in the spring game was Eddie Lewis. Uh, he's a guy who, he, you know, went to, I guess it was prep school for one season. And, I mean, man, in that spring game, he looked quick. He might have dropped a few passes. He might not have been on the same page with his quarterback at times. But Rutgers has a good defensive backfield, right? They have an experienced defensive backfield. And they weren't, they weren't stopping him. That gives you at least hope. And this is where I wanted to go with McNulty, which is what impressed me about McNulty in his first time on the banks wasn't that, you know, Tyquan Underwood is, you know, using his 4-4 speed or, or Kenny Britt is making plays. Like Kenny Britt came in as a big-time recruit. He makes huge plays as a freshman, right? And, you know, th- th- what impresses me is, you know, Kevin Brock, Shamar Graves, right, utilizing Tim Brown and kind of letting him grow into the Tim Brown that, you know, was catching a game-winning touchdown against UConn, right? It's, it's, it's the way he put players in position to kind of grow into their roles, and I think that that's what these guys need, right? Give them a smaller playbook. Let's say it's Everett Wormley. What plays is Everett Wormley going to succeed in in your offense? And let him do those, right? Hunter Hayek, same thing. I don't want to see a fade pattern to Hunter Hayek in the end zone as your, like, go-to play in the red zone. Like, I'm sorry. He can do other things, but that's not what I want to see. Under John McNulty, someone who you mentioned all the names that he coached while he was at Rutgers, you know, Tim Brown, Shamar Graves, Tyquan Underwood. I think one guy you're going to see a lot of who maybe is one of those, you know, not such a big name, but some guy who John McNulty is going to allow to make a difference is a guy in Travis Vokalek. You know, you mentioned Aaron Jerome Washington, the prototypical tight end, you know, the guy he almost left for the or very well could have left for the draft. And I think there would have been a good chance he would have been a late round pick had he left for the draft this past year. But a guy like Travis Vokalek, He's big. You mentioned the goal line fades. That's someone who could go up for a goal line fade and probably out jump, you know, box out really any corner that goes against right. him or any safety that goes against him. I think that's a guy that John McNulty is going to use. He's going to use his size. I think he could be one of those guys who's kind of like a touchdown machine for Rutgers where he's in there in goal line situations and they just kind of loft the ball up for him and he goes up and gets it. I think what's intriguing about McNulty, which David kind of uh, covered, and, and also, you know, in his uh, recent article last week talking about best aerial connections in Rutgers football history, was if you go back to 2008 with Mike Teal, you know, there were four, four, four guys had over 300 yards receiving that year. Last season, not one Rutgers player had over 300 yards receiving. So I think just with that, McNulty, the, the, the balance he could bring to the offense in the passing game, is really intriguing, and uh, you add in a Sikowski, you know, it's, this is certainly the most exciting, I think, uh, going into a season in terms of what the Rutgers offense could be next season. And it'll it'll certainly be an offense to watch, obviously. We talked about all the, the question marks that are on it, be it Sikowski, Geo, John Lewis, the receivers, the tight ends taking the next step. But switching over to the defense, and, and David, you mentioned it, you know, that defensive backfield, with Bless on Austin coming back, Isaiah Wharton, Saquon Hampton, K.J. Gray, 
it just goes on and on that list. Damon Hayes, another guy to mention. Man, that defensive backfield, I think, is one of the best in the Big Ten. I think arguably the best in the Big Ten with the experience they have. That is going to be difficult for opposing quarterbacks to throw on. And with Bleston Austin, you kind of look at his injury. While you didn't want to see the guy get hurt, obviously, you never want to see any player get hurt. With him coming back, it just makes that defensive backfield so deep. The fact that you're looking at guys who have now, I believe in him, uh, Wharton, Hampton, guys who have started you know, most of their years here at Rutgers now going into their senior year, that defensive backfield is really going to be the rock of this defense. Yeah, so I'll take that one first, too. So looking at the defensive backfield, obviously, I think we were all disappointed in not the frontline depth, but the overall depth of the group last year. You had to move Joan Harris, who then looked awesome at first until offensive coordinators figured out, okay, he's inexperienced, time to exploit him. But you've got your head coach, your defensive coordinator, multiple defensive backs coaches. This coaching staff decided that was actually going to ha- how they were going to start by building from defense first, then offense, and within the defense from back to front. And to me, the, the, the most telling thing from the defensive backfield, because college football these days, they're throwing the ball all over the field, all the game, whatever. You give up some yards, uh, I don't mind that. But when the crunch time came against Maryland and against Purdue, they stepped up and made plays. And that is what you want to see from the defensive backfield, right? You're going to give up catches. You're going to give up yards. But can they make plays in tough situations? And I think that this team did. Now, the biggest thing that they need to do is they need to develop some players at the cornerback position. Because in theory, of any position on a football field outside of maybe place kicker, corner should be the easiest position to play as a freshman or a, true, or a redshirt freshman. And I haven't seen that. That's my biggest concern. Uh, with this unit. Well, you look at it. Why haven't you seen it? You haven't seen it maybe because the depth that the Scarlet Knights haven't. The Scarlet Knights haven't it. You know, you're looking at guys like uh, someone like Bless on Austin. Yeah, he got hurt, but a guy like Damon Hayes stepped up in his place and played so well. And now Bless on Austin coming back. There's just so many guys in front of these, you know, freshmen, a guy like Edwin Lopez who came in a couple of years ago. You know, there's so many players in front of him that he's just unable to beat them out because that position is so deep for the Scarlet Knights. It's one position I feel like that, you know, gets filled in Chris Ash's recruiting classes, you know, so quickly. And you look at even this most rec- uh, recent recruiting class, the 2019 one, they've already got a couple of defensive backs in that recruiting class. But for Rutgers, they have a luxury that they've had a guy like Bless on Austin leading the way for the past four years that those younger guys really haven't had the opportunity to step up because he's been such a stalwart in the cornerback position. True, but they did they did move the Coven Bailey back there at times last year to play both ways, and he's not on the roster anymore. That that's I agree with your point to some extent, but at the same time, I'd like to see Tim Barrow, A. Lopez, someone like that. Yeah, I think Lopez is certainly an intriguing young player to see how he'll develop. But I think also, uh, you know, while the defensive backfield gets to a lot of the headlines, and deservedly so, I'm really excited about the linebacking core coming into this year, just with what they have coming back. Um, and then also with uh, Maddox Williams coming back from injury along with Morris, but also Tyshawn Fogg, you know, you hear great things about him. And um, a very highly recruited, uh, rated recruit. And I think um, just the depth at linebacker, if you look at what Ash had to work with in his first season, to what he has now at linebacker, I think that's easily the most improved position, at least on the defensive side of the ball, arguably on the whole team. 
and I think that really speaks to, to his uh, defensive acumen and just what he's done um, along with Neiman to develop the defense. And I think, um, obviously, I know we're going to get to the line, and that's a concern, but I think the linebacking core could really surprise people and be in a strength to this defense as well. Yeah, it, it certainly can be. And you mentioned Tyshawn Fogg, a guy who a lot of people think is going to take that next step uh, this coming season. You know, showed flashes at times last year. Again, Trevor Morris, Deontay Roberts, two guys that were ahead of him. Tyreek Maddox-Williams, a guy that's coming back as well off an of injury. This linebacking core is, I feel like, just as deep as the secondary and could, like the secondary, be one of the one of the best units, I think, in the Big Ten. But you mentioned that defensive line. I think that's where all the kind of question marks and concerns fall for the Scarlet Knights defense. You're losing Sebastian Joseph. He got drafted in the sixth round. Obviously, losing Kamoko Ture. He got drafted in the second round. Alorm Loomer's back. Kevin Wilkins is back. John Badeke is back. But you lost two key guys there that were really the stalwarts of your defensive line for the past couple of years, and they're going to be hard to replace, and you're going to need one of those guys mentioned or guys I haven't mentioned to step up and really be that block either on the defensive end or in the defensive tackle and really anchor this defensive line for Chris Ash. Yeah, I mean, as the person who covers the defensive line for the website, uh, the OTB, probably more than anybody else, you know, I look at it and the, the defense that Jay Neiman runs – he plays a pretty straight up on first and second down. So, so the, the fact that you don't have pass rushers on those downs hurts him, but it's not critical to his success. But the problem is when you're up by seven and the other team is guaranteed to pass, right, in like a two-minute drill, can you get any sort of pressure? And that's where I think they're going to lean a little bit on the linebacking core that Aaron mentioned, maybe run almost like a 3-4 to try to generate a little bit more pressure and like third down or, you know, two-minute drill situations, I'm not concerned about, you know, in a head-up, first down, they might run situation. Kevin Wilkins, John Badeke, good, right? These guys are good players. But do you have depth if they get hurt? Do you have somebody who can just kind of surprise you with some pressure on like a second down, you know, play-action pass? I don't know. Yeah, it's, I think the problem was, uh, you, you know, I think you have to give Ash credit. He's, he's certainly upgraded the roster from a skill position uh, perspective. But I think what a problem Rutgers has had throughout their Big Ten tenure has been the development of both lines. And I think it's always the hardest in terms of, you know, building that depth. You know, defensive line, you really need to go 9-10 deep in the Big Ten, and, and Rutgers just hasn't been able to do that. I am intrigued and excited by Julius Turner. I also think Loomer showed a lot, uh, you know, showed some flashes last year and could, could step up this season. But um, yeah, like David was saying before, seniors have to lead, and Wilkins of Bataki, you know, there's a lot on them. Uh, to deliver, and I think, uh, but you're going to need players like Turner and Loomer and, and obviously others to, to really uh, step up as well. Certainly, and this summer will tell a lot about who's stepping up for the Scarlet Knights, be it offensively, quarterback, wide receiver, uh, running back too as well, defensively, you know, defensive backfield, linebackers, specifically the defensive line, who's going to be the guy or the guys to kind of step up, anchor these units, and help Rutgers get to bowl eligibility. Again, two wins in his first year, four wins in his second year. Now Rutgers hoping to get to that sixth win where they could get bowl eligible, get back to a bowl game. First time it would uh, happen since they went to the quick lane bowl. To end the podcast, our final topic, we're going to talk about men's basketball, specifically recruiting. And, well, look, they filled most of their scholarships already. There's one scholarship left in this class of 2018. Who's it going to be? Andre Hyatt is obviously a, a popular name thrown around. He, it seems like, is leaning towards reclassifying. Not sure if it's official to the 2018 class. 
But who's it going to be? Who's going to fill that final scholarship for Rutgers? Is it going to be a guy like Andre Hyatt? Is it going to be a grad transfer, a regular transfer like they did in Peter Kiss or a grad transfer like they did in a guy like C.J. Geddes a couple of years ago? Who's it going to be to fill that final 2018 scholarship for the Scarlet Knights? Again, Andre Hyatt, while it would be great if he reclassified and he did come in the class of 2018, it seems like because there's so many big schools recruiting him, it seems like Rutgers is kind of falling behind in the pack. So it'll be interesting to see who fills that final 18 scholarship for Steve Peichel going into next season. Well, I, I'll, I'll touch on Hyatt first. I mean, I, I think that uh, it, it sounds like, he, well, he did uh, graduate uh, from high school um, early, uh, but it does sound like he's going to play uh, the July live period with his AAU team, Boo Williams, um, and, and then uh, basically make a decision in August. So, um, that will be interesting to see. Florida State and Rutgers are definitely on them the most for 2018. Um, but to be honest, I, I, th- I think if I, if I had to bet, I would say he'd take the post-grad year and uh, wait and see what offers come in 19. You know, Michigan's reached out to him. Duke's reached out to him. Kansas has reached out to him. And it's all about 2019. And I think uh, for Rutgers, if they're, if they're going to land, uh, land him, it's going to have to be this summer. And if they don't, then I, I really don't like their chances moving forward. And I think realistically, uh, yeah, I think Steve Peichel is going to end up landing a, a grad transfer, someone we haven't even thought of yet. Uh, I think if you look historically, just in the last two years, what he's done in August in terms of, you know, he landed uh, yeah, C.J. Gettys two years ago in August. He also got a steal in Eugene O'Murray. Uh, and then last year, you know, uh, getting to court to reclassify late in the game. So, um, you know, he's had a good history of landing someone late, and I think ultimately that's what they need to do. Um, because I, I'd be concerned, obviously, going into next season with just 11 scholarship players with Jacob Young sitting out of transfer year. So I, I really think they do need that a grad transfer. But, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword because you, you need to land the right guy that has the right chemistry that can help the team. You just don't want to take someone to take someone to fill a spot. Um, but hopefully, you know, it, listen, it, 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 the way college basketball is nowadays, there's literally hundreds of grad transfers. There certainly could be names that are out there that haven't even surfaced yet. Yeah, and, and you'd think, you know, looking at what they need, it seems like they might be all set in guard, at least for the coming years. Well, yes, obviously Jacob Young has to sit out, Montez Mathis, Geo Baker, Peter Kiss, guys that are obviously going to be there next season who are going to be playing and are going to be playing, you know, significant minutes. Do you think they would go forward? Do you think they would go guard? You know, I if I had a preference, I'd probably prefer a guy, you know, a, a young forward, obviously Andre Hyatt. Um, if he were Rutgers were to get him, I think would be the best addition. But if you're looking grad transfer, maybe a wing player too. I, I specifically saw a guy like Joseph Chartouni transferring from Fordham. I know I think it's pretty tough for Rutgers to get him because he's such a a someone someone who is just being you know recruited by so many big schools. But I think he would be a perfect fit for the Scarlet Knights, a wing player who plays great defense, who can score. I think if Rutgers could go with that more of a wing position type of player, I think that would be the biggest addition for the Scarlet Knights if they go the grad transfer route. You know, I, I think that's a good point, and I was definitely intrigued by him when he got came on the market. But I think Michael has told me several times, and I think it, it, it's true, and he proved it with Jacob Young. He's going to add what, what, whoever he thinks can help the team, no matter what position they can play, that's who he's going to add. And I think it just all comes down to timing and, and who's the right fit. But I think that, that truly that's how he's approaching it, is whoever is, is the, the best add at the time, that's where he's going to go. But I think, listen, at the, at the end of the day, this team needs help everywhere. And I think um, it's, it's all about who, who makes the most sense for next season um, and keep that extra scholarship open to, for class in 2019. It'll certainly be interesting to see what Steve Peichel ends up doing with that final scholarship, where he ends up 
uh, going, what position he ends up going at. You know, you mentioned best player available on the Scarlet Knight team. While the talent is being restocked year in and year out, uh, still more talent needs to be added. And I think Steve Peichel is just doing one hell of a job on adding that talent and is really bringing in guys that, whether it be this year, uh, next, the season after, are going to just take this program to a new level. Now, granted, I obviously uh, wasn't alive the last time the Scarlet Knights made the NCAA tournament, but uh, I don't want to be <laughs> too scary. optimistic. I don't want to be too optimistic, but I am hopeful that that streak ends soon. And I think that, you know, Steve Peichel, with the guys he's bringing in, that streak is probably going to end pretty soon. Let me ask you one more question, Aaron, before we end this t- topic. From, from your perspective, I was thinking about this recently. Could this offseason recruiting process have gone any better for Rutgers? I mean, maybe you land Strickland, but other than that, I mean, it, it can't. You, you have to be happy with what they've done. I totally agree. I think, you know, I, I, I felt it in the week at the Big Ten tournament. You know, they, he, they needed that chip. They needed something positive to go into the offseason. You know, they got a little bit of it the year before with, with the one win in the Big Ten tournament, and it helped in offseason recruiting. But they really, you know, with, with the season they had, you know, I, again, I've said before, I, I don't really think it was a step back. I think it was more of an evening out. But I think having that week in New York like they had, it really gave Pico momentum going into to the offseason. I think, you know, yeah, Strickland was a loss, but I really am intrigued by Caleb McConnell. I think he could end up being a better player in the long run, and I know that sounds like a homer comment, but I really believe it. I think he's more versatile, uh, and I think he right. fits Pico's system better. Uh, I think, you know, Jacob Young was surprising, but I think, you know, like you've, you've said in the past, Rutgers hasn't had that type of gunner in, in a long time, Jerome Coleman-type player who can light up a stat sheet. Uh, and I think, you know, he's an intriguing ad. And then obviously Mulcahy, you know, and I, I wrote after it happened, um, in my opinion, it's the biggest recruit that Pico's landed so far. I know, you know, Mathis is a higher-rated recruit. Um, you know, Geo Baker's arguably the biggest recruit of the Pico era so far in terms of what he did last year and what he means moving forward. But I think, you know, to land a top player, one of the top players in New Jersey, especially when there were legitimately great programs recruiting Mulcahy. And at, at the end there, it kind of looked like it, it wasn't looking good. When they added Young, I didn't think they were going to – I almost thought that that was them moving on from Mulcahy. So I think for them yeah. to come back and, and prioritize their top target, uh, you know, who they recruited the last two and a half years and land him um, was a huge statement. And I think people don't realize how little of a presence Rutgers had on the recruiting trail in New Jersey as just as recent as two and a half years ago, virtually non-existent. So to, to go from that to this, huge step forward. It, it certainly was. And, you know, you mentioned Paul Mulcahy, obviously committing a couple of weeks ago. I agree with you. Biggest recruit I think Steve Peichel has had, I think biggest recruit in a long time. Uh, bringing a guy from in-state, a guy who is more of a pass-first type of point guard, a guy who people want to play with. I think that's the most important thing. People know him around New Jersey. People want to play with him, and they, you know, UConn was going hard after him. Seton Hall, Northwestern, Xavier, all these programs, these, you know, big-time, high-major programs were going after Pomo Kehi. Steve Peichel put in the effort with him, and it ended up working out for Steve Peichel, and, and he's coming to Rutgers, and, you know, so often— the one knock on Steve Peichel was he was still looking for that point guard of the future. He wasn't able to get a guy like Jose Alvarado, for example, a couple of years ago. Well, mm-hmm. Paul Mulcahy seems to be that guard of the future, the guy who could really lead Rutgers, you know, obviously won't be here next year or won't be here this season, but, you know, will be here after next after this coming season. We'll be here in the 2019-2020 year. He seems like that guy to lead the Scarlet Knights 
as their lead guard, as the guy who can allow Geo Baker to play off the ball. And I think, you know, I was surprised when they got Jacob Young. Aaron, I thought the same thing. I thought, you know, that was the end of the Paul Mulcahy, you know, potentially Paul Mulcahy coming. But he he committed to Rutgers. Got to give so much credit to Steve Peichel for for not giving up on him, for getting him, even when all these big-time offers came through for him. And, you know, again, I mentioned it before, Steve Peichel, just to me at least, you know, seeing Mike Rice, seeing, you know, a little bit of Fred Hill, for enough for me to remember, seeing, obviously, Eddie Jordan, Steve Peichel just seems different. And I'm excited, you know, now as an alumni for me, I get to, I got to kind of see the building up, you know, I got to see the three Big Ten or the two Big Ten wins at Madison Square Garden, obviously the game against Purdue, I got to, you know, see all that as a student now as an alumni, I'm excited to see where Steve Peichel is going to bring this program, and I'm excited to see, you know, just how high this program can get under Steve Peichel, he built up Stony Brook, they made the NCAA tournament, I don't see why not, and I know, obviously the Big Ten's harder than I believe the America East in which Stony Brook is in, but why not? Why can't Steve Peichel bring Rutgers to an NCAA tournament? I don't see any reasons why he can. I, I've, I'm, again, cautiously optimistic, but I really do think he will. And I think that time is going to come sooner rather than later. So I don't know about you guys, but as alumni now, I'm very excited to see just where Steve Peichel could bring this program. I'm excited to see how this roster with that one scholarship left for next season really plays out in the coming months of summer. Well, the, the last thing I'll say on Peichel and all great points, Lance, is, you know, everyone knew he could coach. You know, there's always that follow him at Stony Brook. He, he, he could flat-out coach. He's proved it in the Big Ten. The thing that he hadn't proved was could he recruit in the Big Ten? Could he go in head-to-head to some of these schools um, and, and win in the living room? And he's proving with Mathis, with Mulcahy, he's winning over these families. He's winning over these players. He's, uh, you know, targeting them very wisely. He's, he's um, being the first one to make the offer. He, he's on them, uh, you know, throughout the recruitment. I think Mathis, he saw, you know, in July last year, I, I think he saw 30 out of like 35 games that he played. I mean, the time that he puts in as a head coach, and when he lands these guys, all, all the support people are saying they've never seen a head coach that involved in the recruitment of a player, and that's what it's going to take to turn Rutgers around. And while I love that he goes for – the glory with you know he's recruiting those five-star players he's not he's not wasting time either he's prioritizing the right guys with the right fit that are still very talented but he's finding his guys and he he's to land his top two targets back-to-back classes that's a huge statement and a huge turnaround for the program and i think really bodes well for the future it certainly does, and it's certainly going to be fun to watch this Rutgers men's basketball team in the next couple of months, as well as the teams we mentioned previously, the football team, all the storylines they have uh, with quarterback, the you know defensive line, wide receiver, you know first year under the new offensive coordinator or old and now new offensive coordinator John McNulty, and of course the women's and men's soccer team. You know women's soccer team, assuming it's all going to be status quo, another NCAA tournament with them in the coming season. Men's soccer team obviously trying to dig themselves out of the Big Ten basement and bring themselves back to Big Ten relevancy where they were in 2015. But guys, that's all the time we have. That's the end of episode one, so it's done. We're on the books. Episode one is is done and through, and now all we uh, have to do is work on episode two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and more and more and more as we really get this ball rolling. Again, make sure everyone listening to follow at OTB underscore SB Nation. That's our Twitter handle where you can hear everything you need to know about when our next podcast is coming up, who's going to be on our next podcast, what it's going to be about. So make sure you follow that. Aaron, David, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the On The Bags podcast. And look, again, I said it. Episode one is done. Now we can look forward to episode two. Well, 
Well, thanks, Lance, for putting everything together, and uh, thanks for everyone for listening and, and for uh, everyone that does read On the Banks every day. And uh, David, it was great to have you on, too, and uh, I'm looking forward to a great summer and uh, a great uh, year ahead next year with all the sports. Thanks. Well, thanks for having me. Even if you replace me, you know, with uh, a coach or a player, I won't be mad. Follow SB Nation on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation, and you can find out when our next podcast is debuting.